Yo, what's good everyone? It's Anushan and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Welcome everyone to the Brown Men Won't Jump podcast, where brown Asian Americans that are millennials are really talking about basketball, adding a new voice to the scene. Today, I, Nassal from Oxford, Connecticut, am your host, and we have a round table today to introduce you could tear his Achilles, but you can't tear his spirit. It's Runga from Homedale, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? <laughs> we have, he didn't start off on Degrassi, but he's Canada's next top hip-hop artist. It's Anushan from Pickering, Ontario. Yo, what's good, guys? <laughs> and we have the meme master and editor of the podcast, in that order. It's us, we, from Edison, New Jersey. Howdy how. And last but not least, our fearless leader, soon to pass Nate Duncan as the best lawyer NBA analyst, it's AC from Will. <laughs> What's up? What's up, guys? All right, guys. So there's so much to break down with the East this year, but we've definitely got to start at the top, the Nets. Personally, as a, as a fan of a team in the East, they are the team that I'm the most afraid of this year. I mean, with KD coming back and Kyrie also being available, I feel that they are the scariest team by far. Well, guys, what the hell is going on with Kyrie Irving right now? The guy is refusing to talk with the media. He literally is claiming that he's going to have a media blackout this season because the media apparently twists his comments. And then the NBA finds this guy and he says, I don't talk to pawns. And he compares himself to Malcolm X. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, this is typical Kyrie behavior. Um, <laughs> the dude thinks that he he has some like he thinks he's, he thinks of himself as a very wise man. Right. But we're not sure if he even knows if the earth is round or flat at this point. Um, <laughs> and look, like I, I kind of wonder if, you know, it seems like him and KD are really tight which I'm actually quite interested to see how that plays out. But I wonder if, if KD kind of emboldens Kyrie to even be crazier than he's been in the past. Kyrie's always reminded me of that college freshman who takes like one philosophy class and then he thinks he's the only guy that understands the world and nobody else gets it. Or like, you know, that friend <laughs> of yours who's like smoked a few too many blunts and he's high as fuck. And then he thinks he's achieved enlightenment. He's telling everyone else how the world works. That's basically Kyrie Irving. <laughs> That's spot on. <laughs> <laughs> the way I look at it is that KD has the thinnest skin of any NBA player I've ever seen, at least any star I've seen. And you have a guy like Kyrie who will literally say anything. So it, it's just a implosion waiting to happen. So, you know, for anyone following Twitter, look out for KD burner accounts going crazy this year, especially if they don't make it to the finals. <laughs> yeah for sure Asui and as far as like his comments in the media I know one of the things he said was like I hope they're going to use this $25,000 to give to communities in need or, or something to that effect and it just goes to show that he's not too educated on this because uh, what happens is anytime the NBA finds a player they split up that revenue between the players association and the league and then they donate that to charity so they are effectively doing that I just want to get a disclaimer out for the ladies and gentlemen that are listening to this podcast. Um, I'd like to think that all of our analysis related to Kyrie Irving is objective, but it is important to put out the disclaimer that one of our boys did date uh, Kyrie's ex. So that's important. To <laughs> that is true. Before the record, Nassal, didn't she leave Kyrie for our, our guy? <laughs> Isn't that what happened? That might be the case. That might be the case. <laughs> that is the case, actually. <laughs> that makes it even funnier, in my opinion. I personally am a little bit biased against Kyrie Irving because the man decided not to join my New York Knicks after I really want him to very badly for many years. But I do think he's an exceptional basketball player. I mean, he's already proven that he could be the second best player on a championship team. He was spectacular in games five and seven uh, against the Warriors in 2016 and famously hit one of the greatest shots in NBA history. And the thing that I love about Kyrie Irving's game is his game actually translates well to the playoffs because the regular season is often about, you know, making the easy shots. But the playoffs often come down to be able to make difficult shots when you're con when they're contested. The kind of shots that like the, the defense is trying to get you to take. And he can take and make those a little bit like his mentor, Kobe Bryant, in that way. Um, and he's never been someone who's been reliant on getting to the free throw line. In fact, he doesn't even get there that much. So his game translates really well there. 
Um, and he's and he's just so fun to watch from like a box office perspective, right? I mean, the guy basically plays street ball in the NBA. He even even AI said that he had the that Kyrie Irving had the best handles ever. And I don't can't think of anyone else who's been like better at making difficult layups than him, just under the rim layups, weird angles where he has to double clutch. He's just so so skilled. For as much of a wild card as Kyrie is off the court, I actually find him to be a sort of stable and consistent presence on the court. And I, I, I feel like I have a good idea of what uh, what I'm going to expect out of Kyrie coming into this season. I think it's more about, um, you know, we, we've seen Kyrie be successful. We know he's a defensive liability. We know he's an offensive genius. We've seen him win the title as the second best person on the team. So to me, I actually think it's more about, you know, is Kevin Durant going to be that same player? And then if he is, I think Kyrie is going to be able to rank and file right into that pecking order and, and contribute uh, to that Nets team in a similar way that he did in Cleveland. I just think it's more about his number one option. Is he the same guy still? So, so Nessa, let's talk a little bit about that, right? Because prior to his Achilles injury, you can make a real case that Kevin Durant was maybe the best player in the world. I mean, LeBron was hurt, uh, and he didn't really play in the playoffs that year. He was, Durant was incredible, and then he gets hurt. And now, you know, he's had Runga's Achilles injury. How do you think it's going to affect someone like Kevin Durant? Man, I hate that this has become Ranga's Achilles injury now. This is this is horrible. I've become synonymous <laughs> with the worst injury you can have. Um, but I, I expect him to be, relatively speaking, a success story in terms of recovery after a, a full Achilles rupture because he's still relatively young and he has the size and the sort of dexterity from a shooting standpoint to be great without having to jump, you know, super high or whatever the case may be. Right, and... His height is another thing, right? So he's someone who has this tremendous shooting ability, and that shooting ability isn't going to completely depreciate, uh, you know, after coming after an Achilles, right? Um, he's not as reliant on his physical form the way a LeBron James or a, a, even Kobe Bryant um, is in some ways. Um, so I, I, I'm, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic, but it's it's a tough injury, and I think the the record with it is is pretty clear. So I, I think there's a lot of assumptions over KD being that same player. And I, I, I would like to share that optimism, but I, to me, it's not a given. Absolutely not. On that note, I have a bit of a hot take here, Aswi. Hot take alert. I love it. It's almost like a, it's like a CNN key race alert with Wolf Blitzer, except with Aswi <laughs> and a hot take. <laughs> key race alert. I, I think KD, even at his best, leaves a lot to be desired. So for me, I discredit a lot of what KD did on, on Golden State because, as we all know, he joined a team that had 73 wins, right? They, they beat the, the, record, the all-time record for most wins in a single season. And then because, essentially, there was a TV deal uh, where the networks essentially injected a ton of money um, into the NBA and, and teams uh, had the money to, to spend on a guy like KD, for all those reasons, KD was able to join a team that was that successful. And everything he he accomplished since then was with the Splash Brothers, was with an all-star in Draymond Green, you know, a former all-star in Iguodala. So this dude had several playoff runs where he was only double teamed, uh, let's say very sparingly, even in the finals, teams could, could not really afford to double team him, right? So, so I think KD had a really easy route um, as a Golden State Warrior. And look, just before that, right, he wasn't considered to be a killer in the playoffs. Um, in fact, his team was up 3-1 against the Golden State Warriors, and largely due to K- KD's, uh, I would say, mistakes on the court, the Warriors were able to get back in and, and ultimately beat them and go to the finals, right? Um, so so my hot take here is that we're going to see more or less the Durant that was there prior to Golden State, and I just don't think he's that great. Wow, that that's definitely a hot take. I, I think we all agree here that... Um, Kevin Durant's move to the Warriors was it definitely messed up the competitive balance of the league. But even if he's like 90% of who he was pre-injury, I still think he's easily the best player in the conference. I mean, you're talking about arguably the best scorer since Michael Jordan. He's got every single tool in his arsenal, right? He's got deep range, unstoppable pull-up shot, one-on-one punishing switches. He can pass pretty well, not like a Luka or even Steph level passer, but better than sort of the Kawhi types, right? He's great off the ball. He's great at drawing free throws. And he can convert them too. And defensively, he's become 
a little bit better to now I think where you can say he's an above average defender prior to the injury. And I think that's where I'm a little bit worried about him. Um, but as far as clutch reputation, he did hit two massive clutch shots right over LeBron in back-to-back finals. So we can't just discount that entirely and say he doesn't have it at all. Granted, he was barely double teamed. I think there was one year where an entire playoff run, he was double teamed twice the whole playoff. So uh, that doesn't make it a little bit easy for a guy like him. But I uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think even if you're going to say, okay, he doesn't get credit for whatever he did in Golden State, you got to at least admit that he did then leave Golden State and he came to the Nets, right? So he's trying to prove that he can do it on his own. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I was very happy about that, as you guys know. And look, he's got Kyrie with him and Kyrie does have ice in his veins. He has he has the cone his factor. So this could end up working out where Kyrie can take sort of like the bigger shots towards the end of the game. Um, I do think we're going to have some drama here because I think both these players view themselves as that guy and they want to be that guy. So I'm curious to, curious to see how that plays out. Um, well, just to add a bit on to Katie and what you just said, Ranga, uh, well, one, we can all agree that we've never seen a player like Katie before, like the combination of his size plus his natural guard, like tendencies and abilities to handle the ball is something that's like unparalleled. We've never seen it before and his ability to shoot as well, coupled with that. So I definitely think as far as like unicorns around the NBA go, like he's like the unicorn in the NBA um, to go on with your point about how it might be hard to see Kyrie and KD two ball dominant players play together. I mean, we've seen KD be able granted the situation in golden state was very easy for him to adapt, but we've seen him adapt with other like ball dominant players and same thing with Kyrie Irving. Like, He's played with LeBron James, who is the ball dominant player, right? So we've seen those situations both work out for them. And I think we're going to see something similar with the Nets. I think they're two players who are able to coexist together, in my opinion. So what about the Steve Nash hire? I mean, this is a team of championship aspirations, and they hired a first-time head coach. And of course, Kyrie Irving, because he just can't help himself. Just has to say, quote, and I think it's going to change the way we see coaches. I don't really see us as having a head coach. You know what I mean? KD could be a head coach. I could be the head coach. What do you guys <laughs> think about that? Good Lord, man. What what an idiot. That That's just, <laughs> it's so dumb. For, it's so dumb from a PR standpoint. And it's just not true. Like the best teams have great head coaches that that not only manage personnel well, but come up with offensive and defensive systems that require buy-in from the players, right? And that that really, I would say in the playoffs, you, you really see how important that is. So, man. <laughs> Recently, first-time coaches have had a lot of success. You have Steve Kerr, Ty Lue, and Nick Nurse all winning as first-time coaches, like winning the whole championship. And even just last year, Frank Vogel, in his first year with the Lakers specifically, was able to win. And we know that Nash is a fantastic people person. He has a previous relationship with Kevin Durant when they were both on the Warriors, and Nash was a consultant. Um, And he's got some good assistants on his staff, including Mike D'Antoni. So do we think that, aside from Kyrie Irving's comments, there's some potential here with Nash as a head coach? I I think so, AC. I I think Nash has incredible pedigree for this role. As as you mentioned, an all-time great teammate, by the way. I remember when he was on Phoenix Suns, one of the things they measured was how many times Steve Nash gave a player a, a high five. And it was like just astro- astronomically higher than I think any of the playing in the NBA at the time. So he, he's a very supportive guy. Uh, what a statistic. Is, <laughs> pretty interesting, right? Which I think is a good quality for, for a head coach. And he's been, as you mentioned, a consultant for the Warriors that have obviously won a ton, right? So I actually think he'll do quite well. And I think the NBA as a whole does a bad job of just recycling shitty coaches. Um, you know, we've had, uh, what's his name? Mike Brown, uh, who won coach of the year, who's had way too many coaching positions. Um, you know, even D'Antoni, who's now an assistant here, um, was given a chance uh, in uh, Los Angeles prior to Jeannie Buss taking over the team when he clearly was the wrong coach for the personnel that they had. So I'm, I'm actually encouraged every time we see a new a new face um, in a coaching position. But, Don't tell Jeff Van Gundy that. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> but the big problem here, AC, is that I think it's way too too high of an ass to manage both KD and Kyrie. Yes, they picked a guy that Durant has a relationship with, and I think that was very, very smart. And hopefully Durant can convince Kyrie to get in line. 
But, you know, judging by the quote that you had at the start of this segment, I I, I think this guy is, um, you know, he really has an, a, an uphill battle ahead of him. I think that's fair, right? Um, but I guess to give a counter, right? If Kyrie, if Kyrie is going to be disrespectful, right? He's going to be disrespectful. If he would be disrespectful to someone like Doc Rivers or someone, right, who wasn't really that relevant of an NBA player, at least they're putting someone in in this head coach position that was really a top player in the league. So Kyrie has no choice but to respect that to some degree. I I would have to think at least. And I'll say, right? Um, anyone who's followed Steve Nash's career, uh, both career and post career, right? because there's dozens of hours of podcasts of him talking um, and, and giving analysis. And he's really such a charismatic person, such a brilliant mind that I feel like he's going to translate really well into a head coaching role. Um, you have Dan Tony as an assistant coach on the staff. And also I know Dan Tony's a bit of a polarizing figure, but I think he's truly one of the great offensive coaches of all time. So you have someone who grew up in that school of thought. Um, he's, I know he's going to be a first year coach, but I don't feel like execution wise, and how he goes about this season. I don't feel like he's going to feel like a first-year coach in a lot of ways, which is exciting. So how good do you guys think this team is as currently constructed? I think the East is wide open. I think they're good enough, potentially even to become the best team in the East. Um, now, if they add James Harden, forget it, right? That, that, that'll just be horrible for, for the entire league. But uh, look, the Bucks underperformed last year. Uh, Philly <laughs> has been underperforming for for generations. It feels like at this point in, in time. I, I think the real question is, can the Nets be better than the Heat? I my expectation is no, uh, but I do think like you know they have a chance of of being the second, third, or fourth best team in the East quite easily. Here's why I think the Nets for me are by far the best team in the East. Obviously, I give a lot of credit to the Heat. But when you just look at the kind of lineups these guys could potentially throw out there, I mean, think about a lineup with KD, Kyrie, Levert, Harris. There's so many lineups where you you slide KD to the five, and how do you guard that? Yes, defense will be an issue when you have shorter rotations, but they do have some guys that off the bench that could definitely come in and help on the defensive end, like Jeff Green and Jared Allen, although he's a little thin. DeAndre Jordan is still solid defender, right? I just feel like they're going to be such a hard team to beat and only a disciplined team like the Heat could beat them or even Philly just because Philly has great defenders. But that's basically it. I don't see any other team in the East beating them. Sorry, Milwaukee, but no. I think it'll be a lot like the the Rockets of old where they just beat teams clearly from their offense. And I think this team is even more highly potent on offense than the Rockets ever were. So... I do think I agree with you, Oswee, that they'll just beat teams purely off of like the creative lineups that they can make through their vast arsenal of players. And for me, I think it really, again, it comes down to KD. If they have KD, they're the most talented team in the East. Um, and really, I think for me, it would be between them and the Bucks. Um, but I think right now that the Heat don't have that offensive superstar talent to me. Uh, they have Jimmy Butler, right? But he's he's no Kevin Durant. I think if if that Nets team is getting Kevin Durant, I would I would be comfortable um, picking the Nets over the Heat um, in that situation. Yeah, I totally agree with Nissel. I think they're going to be fantastic on offense. They have just have weapons everywhere: KD, Kyrie, Harris, Levert, Dinwiddie, Landry Shamit. I do think they'll struggle a little bit on defense at the highest level. They have some shaky perimeter defenders like Kyrie Irving's a guy who just dies on every screen. I don't think they have really have that one lockdown defender that you need but I, as long as they have Kevin Durant they have a shot you know in honor of Kyrie calling the media pawns I got a little chess analogy for you guys a healthy Durant is like the queen on the chessboard he's capable of elevating an entire team's play because he's totally unguardable and he can beat you in so many ways and if I look around the Eastern Conference I see only one other queen on the chessboard and that's Milwaukee with Giannis but their coach isn't exactly a chess master in the playoffs as we all know all them other teams, man, they either got a collection of pawns like my Knicks, maybe some knights and bishops like the Pacers and the Raptors, maybe a rook or two <laughs> like the Sixers, the Celtics, the Heat. But the Nets have the only queen on the chessboard besides Giannis. And you can have all the knights and bishops you want, but give me the team with the queen. Yeah, I like the chess analogies. Really good. Sometimes if you bring Jason Tatum to the other side of the board, he'll become a queen. <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on to the Bucks, guys, because this is a team that last year, they were literally on a 70-win pace before the shutdown. And then they completely flamed out in the second round. They lost in five Overrated. games. Overrated. 
Overrated. <laughs> and there's a, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on this team to win. So, Asui, you, I know, have seen Drew Holiday up close, right? This is a guy they've traded the farm to get. They gave three future first-round picks, including two unprotected, two pick swaps, Eric Bledsoe and George Hill to get him. What are they getting in Drew Holiday? That's my all-star. I love Drew Holiday. <laughs> oh, man. Former Sixer Drew Holiday. Introduce him like that, please. Um, well, he's definitely an upgrade from Bledsoe. For what? he's taller. He's a lockdown defender. He is an offensive creator. And he's a reliable shooting threat. Now, he's not some lights-out shooter, but he can reliably make his threes. And, man, imagine a pick-and-roll with Giannis. Like, that would be great. And I think the biggest thing that he'll bring to the team is in a playoff situation when you need buckets, he can be that third option. He can be that guy to kind of share some of the scoring responsibilities that Middleton has. Like, and, like he'll be definitely in their closing five, right? Before, you only oh, knew sure. Sure, there were two people you could count on for sure being a closing five on their team. Now they have three. And to your point, also, I was actually going through the teams. You can make a legitimate argument that Holiday is the best third option on any contender, right? He's definitely better than Schroeder, Lou Williams, Tyler Hero, Karis LeVert, Michael Porter Jr., uh, Bogdanovich on Utah, Covington, Wiggins. And then with Kemba, you could have a bit of a debate, but I think in the playoffs, Kemba can be targeted in a way that Drew Holiday can't. Drew Holiday, he's not just a good defender. He's one of the best defenders of a generation at his position. And I guess then you have Tobias Harris, who also I know you know all about it. Not exactly oh, a playoff, oh, yeah. <laughs> playoff gem. Well, we'll see. We'll see. He has uh, Glenn now. so. But yeah, I agree with you. I think Holiday is by far the best third option that I can think of. Drew Holiday is masterful on the defensive end, right? I think he has the level of talent to actually change the trajectory of a game on that end of the floor. And he's been able to do that deep into the playoffs. So I'm actually really excited about this addition. And I think the Bucs will, uh, will continue to be great uh, from a defensive perspective. But I think to Oswee's point, this team is still going to be overrated. Um, and, I, and I don't think they're actually going to change much uh, this year when it comes to the postseason, especially with the, the new entry of the Nets uh, with, with Katie and Kyrie healthy. But let's also not forget, right? The, I think the reason why the Bucks struggled tremendously in the playoffs is because of Bledsoe. Bledsoe was a huge culprit for why they lost so many games, especially like if I look back at 2019 in the Raptors series with, uh, the Bucks. we would wall because I'm a Raptors fan for anyone who doesn't know, but we would wall off Giannis. And then the one guy who would always cheat off consistently was Bledsoe. And he could never hit any open shot in the corners. And again, like Drew Holiday is like not a knockdown shooter, but he's a significant upgrade over Bledsoe. And if you give Drew Holiday enough open shots from the corner, he's going to make more than he misses. But let's be real, guys. This team comes down to one player, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. And last year, he was absolutely amazing. He became the back-to-back MVP, only the third player ever to win Defensive Player of the Year and MVP in the same year. And the other two guys, Michael Jordan, Hakeem Olajuwon. This dude literally put up prime Shaq numbers, except with elite defense. Yeah, so I think Giannis... Again, you you can't say these statements lightly, right? Um, but outside of the, out of all the current players in the league, outside of LeBron, I think he's the other player who has a case. You know, if everything works out the way it could for him, for him to be possibly the greatest player of all time, or at least the best player of all time. Like he 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 he's at that high of echelon talent wise, right? So like he has physical gifts that exceed even a Jordan or a LeBron. Um, what works against him, right, is that we're in an era where shooting is such a paramount thing. We saw with LeBron James as his physicality, as his physical prowess, you know, took slight declines. He maintained it as best he could, but he also took shooting on in the background. We're now five, six years into Giannis's prime. We haven't seen a title out of him yet, but there's no question. There's no one who could attack the basket better than this guy. There's no one who is as threatening of an offensive force as he's you know running a pick and roll getting getting to the basket there's there's no one there's no one that's scarier in the league right now so uh, and he's as you said he's a defensive genius as well so really I I, let me jump in real quick to just give you some numbers on that defense teams barely attacked him in isos like they're literally afraid of going at this guy one-on-one he's actually the best player in the entire nba at defensive field goal percentage at the rim Versus expected field goal percentage. So whatever guys are expected to shoot, they shoot 
worse against him defending the rim than anybody else in the whole league. He has elite numbers in block rates on contest mm-hmm. and also per possession block rates. And he's also the best defensive rebounder in the NBA on a per possession basis. Yeah, that's that's tremendous, right? Um, and it's crazy, right? Because you, you look at a lot of the top players and a lot, even a lot of these players have that talent to be at least really good on the defensive end, but maybe they can't maintain it over the course of a regular season, over the course of the playoffs because of their offensive burden. With Giannis, you don't see that. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. This guy is just relentless. I think for him, I think the two big deficiencies, if you're looking at his goalsberry chart, right, he's got to get he's got to get to the mid-30s in his three-point shot. If he's taking long twos, he's got to get more accurate at those. And then in the, in the playoffs, he especially, but he's just got to become a better free throw shooter he's actually a career around 72 percent free throw shooter over the course of the regular season but in the playoffs again it's a smaller sample size but in the playoffs he's around a career 62 percent shooter so he, he he certainly can't be dropping off there come the playoffs so really it's just the shooting that needs to pick up but he's he's close to the full package um otherwise i think all right all right all right you guys have said your bit about Giannis, but here's my hot take on Giannis. Hot take alert. All right. So look, I love Giannis's story. I love how he actually works hard on like my young stars on the Sixers. I respect all of that. But at the same time, you said all these great things about, oh, he was this, he was that uh, on the regular season. None of that matters. All right, because he's the Greek freak in the regular season, and then he's Greek yogurt in in the postseason, right? (laughs) Recently, Gilbert Arenas went on Club Shay Shay, you know, Shannon Sharp's podcast, and he said that Giannis is turning into the James Harden of the East, and I agree with you. You could be so great in the regular season, and then what happens in the uh, postseason? You completely embarrass yourself. All right, let me tell you this. This year in the playoffs, he averaged less than 35 minutes per game If you are a star who wants it, how do you allow that to happen? You know, what coach is going to say, oh, no, 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 you're not going to play if a star is pushing it. No, that's when all the cards are on the table. This feels like a bigger Bud diss than Giannis diss. Hold hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me finish, all right? Against the Heat this year, he shied away from guarding Jimmy down the stretch. But I thought, wait, isn't he the defensive player of the year? If you're a competitor, why aren't you trying to go at the star of the other team? It's not like he can't guard Jimmy. He could keep up with him for sure. And not just that, his lack of shooting allowed the Raptors and Heat to completely pack the paint against him. His field goal percentage against the Miami Heat this year, 21.8%. Against the Toronto Raptors in 2019, 22.7%. And this, and we're talking about a guy who doesn't even have an outside shot. So what does that tell you about him? It tells me that in big moments, he neither is able to rise up to the occasion nor is he able to make adjustments to help his team rise up to the occasion. That's what it looks like to me. So first of all, Greek yogurt is my favorite kind of yogurt. It's packed with protein. It's lean. It's <laughs> denser, right? <laughs> I freaking love Greek yogurt. And look, I, I think what Asu said is really important uh, because not, not enough people kind of bring that point, but I do have a few counterpoints to that one i think Giannis has shown that he works extremely extremely hard uh, over the offseason and, and i'm hoping that he'll come back with some some new facets to his game and second as nissal sort of alluded to i think most of those issues are issues with bud as a coach i mean it's ridiculous to not have Giannis guard the best player especially down the stretch um, uh, on the opposing team when you think about that game when J- jimmy butler went absolutely off on them Right. Giannis wasn't guarding him at all. And that was a huge missed opportunity from a coaching perspective. Now, look, as we made that point of as a star, he should have sort of bullied his his way to getting the role that was appropriate for him on the floor. But look, we 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 criticize stars when they don't listen to coaches. Right. So in some ways, I respect the man for being respectful towards his coach. That's the same formula that Tim Duncan used. And, and that was very successful with San Antonio. We'll see what it does here for, for the Bucks. Yeah, I think that he's been a bit miscast as a perimeter creator, like as almost as if he's a Jordan or a LeBron. But he's not dynamic enough of a wing scorer for that role. Like even a young LeBron who couldn't really shoot that well could still go off for 50 on a given game, mostly on jump shots if he was feeling, right? Like, Giannis doesn't have that in his game. What he really is is a big man, like a Shaq of this era, who should be dominating around the rim. And he needs that Penny or Kobe or Wade type of elite perimeter player to pair with him, which he just doesn't have on this team. 
And I don't even think that Drew is that guy. And really, I also agree that Bud is really the biggest problem. Like, how about the fact that Bud never plays him at the five? Like, here's this dominant guy around the rim who barely gets to play at the five. He is too fast for most centers, and he's too big um, for the few that have the foot speed to, to deal with them. But that being said, like, I know, Oswee, you're not a Bud fan either, right? Like, I mean, you're not just criticizing Giannis and not Bud. No, no. I agree with Nissal about a lot of it is Bud's fault. And, you know, everyone has been hyping up the Bucks for the past couple of years. And I've been consistent with, I don't trust a Bud team. Because in 2015, they were first in the East, 60 wins, 22 losses. They had six bet offense and defense. They got swept in the Eastern Conference Finals by the Cavs. Sure, it's a LeBron team that they lost to. Fine. Okay. 2016. They were fourth in the East, great record, lost to the Cavs in round two, swept again. If you're a good team, you can't even get one win out of that. 2019 Bucks, all right, same record, 60-22, first in the East, the best defense. They get embarrassed by the Raptors, four to two. And then this year, everyone knows about it. It was the best defense, in quotes, a historic defense. Yeah, they got embarrassed even worse by the Heat. They only got one game out of it. And and it really just shows that Bud refuses to change anything in the postseason that worked in the regular season. I mean, he only played Giannis 36 minutes. This is your MVP and defensive player of the year. Why aren't you playing him more when it matters? He has long rotations during the regular season to give Giannis rest. Well, this is what you rest him for. So he's available in the postseason. He has the perfect regular season defense to just rack up wins, right? He just gets his team to collapse back in the paint and protects the rim, even though that means conceding threes. But of course, against a team like the Heat that have an army of shooters, they have tons of motion, that's just not going to work. And a great comparison is like, look at Frank Vogel. The Lakers under Vogel are also a drop team. They they drop their big back in the paint in every pick and roll, just like the Bucs do. But when it came down to it against the Heat, they switched completely to a more switching defense. And even when guys they had guys like Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee who couldn't play in that scheme, he just took them out of the rotation ultimately. That's the kind of adjustments I just don't see Bud ever making. And I also don't understand why he doesn't want to use Giannis as a defensive weapon. Like, he doesn't really guard elite players that often for a guy who has amazing ability and length. And I also just don't understand what you, like you said, Oswee, like, why is it that he doesn't play his best guy's big minutes? Like, is it just because Giannis is foul prone? But then what about everybody else on the team? I, I mean, and maybe this is a situation where having less depth will force his hand a little bit. For their sakes, I hope. So for one team that chokes in the playoffs to another, let's go to us we Sixers. Trust the so process. To me, this, <laughs> to me, this team makes way more sense on paper than last year. So how'd you like your offseason, Uswe? Oh my God. At the end of last season, I was just dreading the start of the next season because I thought next season's going to suck. But then we got Daryl Morey and Glenn Rivers and oh my God. Adding Glenn Seth Curry. Can you explain the Glenn Rivers things for those who are not Sixers fans? Listen. There is only one doctor in Philly, and his name is Dr. J. If you listen to any Philly broadcast about the Sixers, they'll just refer to him as Glenn Rivers. So from now on, as long as he's in Philly, he is Glenn Rivers, and that's how I'll address him. So I love the additions we made this offseason. We added Seth Curry, who he is a Curry, meaning knockdown shooter. Not a great defender, but imagine him with, with Ben and Embiid, whew. you got Danny Green, great perimeter defender, good shooter. He's a leader, a champion. And in uh, interviews, he was saying that he's been really on Ben's ass about shooting more. We have solid expiring contracts like Tony Bradley. I don't know if he's actually going to really contribute much, but you know we'll see what happens. And then, of course, we added Dwight Howard as our backup on a veteran's minimum. Like, that's a hell champion of a... Champion Dwight Howard. NBA champion Dwight Howard, and and I feel like he really could be a good leader on the team, and he could show Joel what happens when you're super talented, but you don't take it seriously enough, and I feel like for Joel, that's a really good influence on him. So Daryl Morey comes in, and in like two weeks, completely transforms his team. Nissal, Daryl Morey's your boy. Yeah, he is. Um, So the thing about Daryl, right, the, the only worry I have with Daryl is he's so... He's so nonchalant and very vocal about how good he is compared to everyone else. He said on the record, right, that as long as there's a couple, there's six or seven teams in the league that don't know what they're doing, he's going to be fine, right? 
This is the he's he said that openly, and I, I think that's true uh, as long as people are willing to trade with him. But this guy, he he's willing to put everything on the table. He looks at a situation and just purely looks at it as how can I make this team better? He has an understanding of the most core tenant of the NBA, which is talent needs more than anything else. Right. And that's what people don't get about Daryl Moore. It's not about shooting being better than anything else. It's about talent being better than anything else. So he's inheriting a situation where he has two star players. I don't like Ben Simmons as much as some other people. Um, so we'll see what he does with that, but he has two star chips to work with. He didn't even come into Houston with a star chip. So he's already starting off at a really good spot. and whatever whatever is possible i have full confidence that daryl morey is going to maximize philly to the best of his ability and that's really exciting if you're a sixers fan so Nissal, you have many times told me in the past that you think joel Embiid is one of the elite players in the nba regardless of what his, his playoff results have been so far yeah um he's uh, he's someone he, he Right. Like, I get it. Right. When we talk about Harden, we see significant drop offs and playoff performance with Embiid. I don't necessarily feel like I've seen him lose some sort of clutch factor or something in the playoffs. Yeah, he gets bullied a bit. Um, but that's what happens when you have a supporting cast that isn't tailored to support you in that way. Um, but Embiid, he's a monster. He's a physical specimen, um, the way Stephen A would say. Um, and he's a guy who will be relentless. Um, he has a, a ton of defensive ability. Can he get into better shape? Yes. Hopefully he did this season. Um, and are the injury uh, issues a concern? Yes, they are. Um, but really, he's someone who, hey, I see the I see the drive, I see the motor, at least when I'm watching him in the game. So I think he has everything that it, it'll take to really be one of the top, you know, three to five players and best players in this league, even with how competitive it is. Look, Nissal, I, I see what you're, what you're talking about, okay? And I agree, Joel Embiid, it's not that he doesn't have cojones, it's that he's never available, right? So the best ability is availability, and he's never available in the playoffs. But when he was healthy to play, he was a monster. I've, I've seen many games in person in the playoffs where he was utterly dominant. But the problem is, he's just like a freaking clown. All right, when, when we drafted him, I was literally shaking because I was thinking, oh my god, this could be the player of the future. And I was so hyped. And what happens? Playoff after playoff after playoff, this guy is either injured or sick or he's partying. So then he's like hungover or tired the next day. Like that's just unacceptable. I think it's ridiculous that you can have so much talent like Joel Embiid does and just not give three shits about anything. And every offseason I see posts about, oh, well, Joel Embiid's in incredible shape. He's doing this. He's doing that. And what happens? It's the same shit New Day every playoffs. I'm just so tired of him. I am such a Fairweather fan when it comes to Joel Embiid now. We as Sixers fans get bad reps for being Fairweather fans. I'll admit it right here. I'm a Fairweather fan when it comes to Joel Embiid. He better do something to earn my fandom because he's held the city by the balls for the past couple of years. And he owes it to us to actually do his fucking job for a change. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I don't really feel awesome. <laughs> yeah, yo. Joel Embiid is consistently inconsistent. He really struggles with executing and make the making the right decisions down the stretch. And I'll be honest, two seasons ago when he when he lost in the playoffs and he was crying and, and became a meme, I was actually kind of encouraged by that. Because I was like, all right, this guy like cares enough. He's like crying on national TV. Maybe he'll come back next season. And shows what he's got, and and he did show us what he's got, which is very little. Now wait just a second. I have a question to ask you too. I guess because I want to make sure I'm watching the same basketball games that you are all are. Um, oh, oh. Um, the, obviously oh. this got uh, got swept by the by the great Boston Celtics the, this off season, right? Yeah. Um, but that being said, as I, as I watch those 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 four games, for me the takeaway and the observation. Um, wasn't that Embiid was letting this team down? For me, as I, at least from my perspective, watching these games, I found it, that Embiid was really the only thing right going on in Philadelphia. I found that the reason why the Sixers got trounced was because of a failure of everyone around him. Embiid was was really the constant presence, and he was the one really carrying the offense. And yeah, they came short four out of four times. But I, for me, I have to look at everyone else. I, I thought Embiid played great that series. I disagree with that because if you were watching the same game I was watching in the first half, 
my dude is playing like a monster. And in the second half, he's huffing and puffing. He's playing terribly. I And look, I agree with, you know, the people around him. The team wasn't built for him. Fine. But that doesn't excuse the fact that he's barely able to get up and down the court. There's a reason he's shooting threes. Also, it's because he's too lazy to get his ass down to the, the post. Look, man, I've suffered through the process, and this is what we get. It's not that he's not talented. It's that he's just out of shape every single offseason, so he can't produce. Yeah, homie was out of shape for sure. I, I, thought, I thought that he, he came into that series knowing that they were going to lose, and he just didn't give his effort to win a single game. Yeah, so beyond the conditioning thing, which I think is a real problem for him in the playoffs, I think he has an over-dependence on drawing fouls. Um, he's a guy who, when he gets them on the low block, he has all the skill to be able to finish around them, but often just tries to bait the officials in making a call. And as we know in the playoffs, for whatever reason in the NBA, they just call less calls in the playoffs. So, you know, he just ends up with a lot of bad possessions. And his shot selection also leaves a lot to be desired in high leverage situations. He takes a lot of threes that he doesn't need to take, just bad fadeaways, things like that. Um, but I think that at the same time, Nissal's right, that he just has teammates that clog the paint for him, and he's not able to be as effective as he could be if he was on another team. And a lot of that comes down to Ben Simmons. Now, Ben Simmons is good at everything on the basketball court. We'll talk about his defense in a second, but the problem with him offensively is that as great as he is in transition and in finishing with like dunks, he's extremely athletic. He just can't shoot. And I don't mean just from three, not even from mid range. And he doesn't even try shooting in games. So can that even work when you have a guy like this as one of your two players and he's a guard? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've expressed a lot of skepticism over it. Right. And, and to that point, right. Um, he could and ab- B could absolutely get into better shape, but it's it's a lot more work when you have people clogging up the lane and you have the worst point guard in the league at shooting, like straight up the worst point guard in the league at shooting. Um, and yeah, Ben Ben Simmons is just not a player built for today's NBA. Whatever his value is, it would have been like several times that if he was born a generation or two earlier. Honestly. Um, I don't have a ton of faith in Ben Simmons. I think that Ben Simmons is someone that's still valued by a lot of other teams in the league because there is so much that he does right, which is why I think that Daryl Morey is going to look to trade him. At least that's my thought. I have no, I, I don't think there's any, you know, he hasn't said anything along those lines to my knowledge, but I just feel like logically that's, you have a guy like Embiid. You can't, this guy's bringing him down. That's just how I look at it. I mean, let's, let's take it for what it is, right? Like, if basketball didn't have a half-court setting, Ben Simmons would be one of the best players to ever play basketball, like simply. But that's not the way basketball works. Basketball is a game that's primarily played in the half-court set, and that's where Ben Simmons struggles the most. His obvious glaring weaknesses are what make not only him, but the Sixers as a whole struggle when it comes to playoff basketball. It's it's really tough because I think neither of, of their top two players are good enough to be the best player on on a championship team. That's my opinion. And then the question is, all right, can you have two, you know, with them as one and two, is that good enough to win? And the problem is that, that both of them um, kind of highlight each other's weaknesses. That being said, I love Ben Simmons. He's he's so fun to watch. I think he's one of the most uh, I think he's one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA. His passing ability is is lights out. Um, he's an elite defender and he plays with a physicality and a ferociousness and a consistently consistency from an effort perspective that I think Joel Embiid just does not bring to the floor. Um, I think in order for him to be successful, a, of course he needs a coach that's going to force him to shoot. I mean, I would literally be like, dude, if you don't shoot, I'm benching you. And Brett Brown didn't have the guts to do that. In my opinion, we'll see if doc does. Um, but the other piece is like, I, I think he could excel to you know to your points only on a team that's built for let's say like a seven seconds or less steve nash type of team where he's just facilitating um and i think daryl morey is a type of guy who's going to make a decision um on on keeping one of the two stars here so we'll see see who he picks but if it were me i would actually pick ben simmons over joel Embiid. so ronga you mentioned his defense i don't think people realize just how good of a defender this guy really is Here's some advanced stats from B-Ball Index, right? No player in the entire NBA guarded tougher opposition last season than Ben Simmons. Like, he would guard whoever your best player was, regardless of position. And then he wasn't just guarding them. He was active, too. 
he was in the 98th percentile of all players with his ability to pickpocket opponents. And he was the 99th percentile in steals per 75 possessions and also 90th percentile in deflections per 75 possessions. So basically, you're talking about a guy who not only can switch on to anyone and takes those tough assignments, but he makes it hard to even pass them the ball. Like, that's how great he is as, as a defender. Look, I love Ben Simmons. He's by far my favorite sixer. But I know for a fact that Daryl Morey absolutely loves Joel Embiid. In his introductory press conference, he literally did nothing but talk about how much he loves Joel Embiid. So it's pretty clear if they had to choose who to move, it's probably going to be Ben Simmons. I feel like it's hard to win a championship if on offense you're playing 4v5. I don't like Joel Embiid, but we got to move Ben Simmons if we want any shot at winning a championship. I do think that Joel Embiid has potential to be the best player on a championship team. The problem is, can he actually be available to do that? If everything works out, I see only the Nets and the Heat as our competition for the finals. That's it. I'm sorry, Nissal. I don't see the Celtics like that. We just got better. And like I said before, the Bucks are a great matchup for us. They're overrated and they'll choke. And we can't have any kind of a pod about the beasts of the East without talking about the Miami Heat. These guys had an incredible run last season that went from a fifth seed to the NBA Finals, took the Lakers to six games, even with a lot of injuries in the Finals. I think Pat Riley has done an incredible job remaking this team on the fly from the Big Three era to what they are now, which is a legitimate contender again. And they never tanked in between, right? They kept being competitive and making moves around the margins. And they found three absolute gems on this team. So one of those guys coming right out of Division Three, I believe it is, is Duncan Robinson, who had statistically the best catch-and-shoot season in the history of the NBA, guys. And the that's next incredible. four best seasons are all Steph Curry and Klay Thompson seasons. So that's kind of company this guy is in as a shooter. Then you get Tyler Hero, this guy who plays like with so much swagger and confidence, right? I mean, it's like, it's as if he's been playing the NBA for a decade, but he's just 20 years old. And then finally, and this is the guy who really raises their entire ceiling. And that's Bam Adebayo, who they just gave a five-year max extension to. Yeah, for sure. Um, just speaking a little bit about Bam, like it makes so much sense why the Heat are putting all the cards on the table for this guy. Like He is a tremendous passer at his size. I know that we can, while we may not compare him to someone like Jokic, he is very good at playing in the high post and setting up his guys for easy, easy baskets. Um a lot of the offenses actually run through Bam, dribble handoff, uh, like small screen and roll action. So a lot of their offense, especially guys like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, who are elite shooters, they utilize Bam in the handoff situation so they can get easy shot opportunities. Um, not only that, but just to talk about a bit on his defense, he's one of the elite defenders in the NBA. He ranks like extremely high as far as advanced stats go for not only interior defense because of course he's a big man but he's a very elite perimeter defender too he's extremely switchable you can put him onto guards and he can clamp them down um he's a superb like interior defender superb rebounder um just a great guy in general to have to run at not only your defensive anchor but to be a bit of a offensive leader as well i love this team after the spurs this is the team that i that i root for now um and, and look it's really remarkable that Duncan Robinson has been able to play at this level. AC, you talked about it. This is a guy who really came into the league with no experience. Um, and and the big shift that he made is is basically the front office told him, look, you either shoot or we're benching you. Every time you get the ball and you're, and you're in a position to shoot, shoot the ball. And he's shown that he's so effective that he can actually stay on the, uh, on the floor because let's be honest, he's – one of the worst defenders in the in the league, in my opinion. He's so easy to pick apart, but he's he's so effective from the three point line that um, you know he's able to actually improve a team and, and play in the NBA Finals. To now, his credit, though, he is a effort defender. While I I do agree he's not a great defender, at least he tries on that side. And, and he's so big too; like he's not a tiny, so he, he has at least some size. For for me, guys, he's a dumb defender. <laughs> he makes the wrong decision. So I, I agree with you. He's got some things going for him, but he's a dumb defender. Now, Tyler Hero, a.k.a. the baby goat, is my dude. Uh, I mean, obviously, we have Luca, who's who's young, and, and you know we expect him to be an all-time great in this league. But 
to see Tyler Hero perform in the finals with the type of cockiness and confidence that he had uh, was amazing. Confidence breeds success. Success breeds confidence. I think he's going to come this year um, as an even better player, and I'm really excited, really, really excited to see what he does uh, this year in the playoffs. The crazy part is, guys, Pat Riley is continuing to work his magic this offseason too. Somehow in this one and a half months between the NBA Finals and the start of this season, he found out how to add three more critical pieces to his team, all of whom are amazing at defense. And Avery Bradley, Mo Harkless, Precious Achua, who in my opinion, by the way, is the steal of the draft. And I, I just can't imagine how much difficulty teams are going to have scoring against this team, which was already an elite defensive team even before these additions. So real quick, of course, if we're talking about the Heat, we have to talk about Eric Spolstra. Like Spo is one of the best coaches in the NBA, and we've seen the type of adjustments he can make, not only back when he played with or when he coached uh, LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, but how it translates to now and how he keeps that same sort of mindset, the same sort of scheme, the, the grinded out, hardcore, defensive, uh, grit and grind style of basketball, right? So... We've seen with the type of personnel that he has, he can utilize every single guy to the fullest. And he he's very, like my guy, Nick Nurse, he's very innovative, right? Like we've seen him make great on-the-fly on the adjustments, playing that zone, uh, the 2-3 zone, where he's also keeping his weakest defenders in Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero on the, the back-to-back spots of the zone, so the left wing and the right wing. So he's doing a lot of things to not only maximize the potential of his guys like Duncan Robinson, who who's a weak defender, right? But he's putting him in a position to succeed, and he realizes these sort of things, right? So as far as a defensive coach, he's bar none, probably, if not the best defensive coach in the NBA. And offensively, he knows how to put his guys in positions to succeed, as we've seen with Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, and Duncan Robinson, the trifecta of the three, but also utilizing Jimmy Butler and maximizing his skills. So... Definitely a guy who should get the merit he really deserves. So he's a guy who, even before LeBron went to Miami, he was an elite defensive coach. Like those those Miami teams with just Dwayne Wade and a bunch of role players were still very, very good defensively. But over the course of his career, he's developed an incredible offensive coach. They are the closest team to the Golden State Warriors under Steve Kerr um, in terms of just running very complex offense. You'll have like, one action going on on one side of the floor and a totally different action going on the other side of the floor. So all five people are involved and the defense is constantly on its heels. And then the other thing I've seen from him is a willingness uh, to adjust. I think back in the day, like I remember when the Heat were facing the Spurs in 2014 and they kept trapping, even though the Spurs were so good at, at passing. And I thought that at that time, Eric Spolger was less willing to move away from his system or to make adjustments uh, tactically within a series. Now you can see him making those adjustments game to game or even within a game. Uh, and also he's willing to completely change lineups, go big, then all of a sudden small. Uh, you know, throughout the regular season, Bam was not the five, but in the playoffs he was. At times he started Kelly Olynyk at the five. Just that willingness to adapt, basically the reverse of, of Coach Bud in that sense. I look at Spo as the best coach in the NBA, and this is coming from a Spurs fan. Right, I think Popovich is a great motivator uh, of players. Um, he he he's really good at setting up sort of overall systems, but he makes a lot of mistakes uh, when it comes to X's and O's. In, in my opinion, Spose does not have a weakness as a coach, and I think he's part of the reason why the Heat were able to, let's be honest, like crush expectations and make it to the finals. And that's why they're my favorite in the East uh, to make it out of the conference. But before we talk about the conference as a whole, we should say something about the Boston Celtics uh, who made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. What are your thoughts, guys? So it's a team that has, I, I, as long as this team has Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on, you know, reasonable deals, which they do, you know, um, the team's always going to be relevant to some capacity, right? But it, it, there's no way of looking at it that, I think the last offseason was a, a huge blow for the team. I think it's I think it's great to celebrate the Heat. I think it's great to be like, okay, they surpass expectations. Awesome. Really cool, right? Um, but the Heat really, you know, the Heat are not the Lakers. They're not the Clippers. Um, and to be honest, for given my expectations for that team, that uh, they really should have beaten the Heat. That's just how I feel. And for me, 
how seeing that loss, I think I have to extrapolate some conclusions, right? Um, and then this team also lost Hayward, Hayward, which I thought was their biggest upside point. So for me, I'm I'm a little I'm a little down on the Celtics. Um, just given where this team was a couple of years ago, I think this is not the darkest timeline, but it's not it's certainly not the ideal timeline that the average Celtics fan um, had for this team as of a couple of years ago. So it's it's a little disappointing. Um, I mean, in in some ways, I disagree a little bit with the the Hayward point. Like, I don't think it's that big of a deal that he was gone. Because let's be real, like the last like ever since his injury, really. He wasn't that big of a factor for the team. The team was mainly built around Kemba, Jalen Brown, and obviously their superstar player, Jason Tatum. I thought Gordon Hayward didn't really offer that much. He lost a big step of his game following the injury, and he wasn't really useful on defense. He was more seen as like, probably better suited to be at, like coming off a six-man sort of um, position on the team. But him as a starter, I thought, just took away a bit from... Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who should be getting a majority of the shots from the wing position. Yeah, to me, it's it's almost... It, I, I get that Gordon Hayward brings them... It, it raises the ceiling of their team just to have a guy who can create like that as another option, but it does clear the deck a little bit for more of an expanded role for Tatum and Brown, and really, that's those are the two guys that you're really going to go through when it really matters. I also think them adding Tristan Thompson shouldn't be something that's just overlooked. They had a massive hole at center, and you know, very quietly, a lot of the NBA contenders have loaded up on centers this offseason. The Lakers have, the Clippers have. Um, and if you think last season, right, three of the four conference finalists last year had an all-star caliber big men. And the one that didn't was Boston. And it really, really was the biggest reason that Bam just dominated them. So with Thompson, yes, he's not an all-star caliber player. He's not even quite the player he was three or four years ago in Cleveland. But this is a guy who's a proven playoff player at his peak. I still remember him switching on to Clay Thompson of all people and chasing around around uh, screens off ball and and keeping pace with him. That's the kind of you know switchability that Tristan Thompson brings. He's a fantastic offensive rebounder who can swing entire series. We saw it against Bud's Hawks. We saw it against Toronto, against Boston in the past. He always used to kill Al Horford in particular. Uh, you can make a few plays out of the short roll, and he even showed a little bit of ability to hit a three last season. So I think just having a competent center. Um, while clearly he's at the level of the talent of Gordon Hayward, he does maybe fit their need a little bit more. Yeah, that might be true, and I'll be uh, 100% clear. I, I don't think the Celtics are out of it by any stretch of the imagination. I really don't think they're really that much worse than the Sixers or the Heat, to be honest. I per I personally feel like they're in that same category as those teams, I'll be honest. I'm just down on them because I was expecting, I was really hoping and expecting for this Celtics team to really pose itself as like the top threat in the East, you know, and I, I think they're a far cry away from that. What about Danny Ainge? I mean, this is a guy who we had a lot of moves to make, uh, or in theory he did, but he hasn't quite capitalized on that. At least that's the, the media narrative about him. I think it's it's funny actually because I think Danny Ainge has gotten such a bad rap from agents and players in a way that's like yes he is heartless but like so are most teams but I think this Isaiah thing has just had so many untold consequences I can't even like wrap my head around it like it, it, no one wants to go to Boston Anthony Davis's father flat yeah. out said because they traded Isaiah Thomas his his uh, son will never play for the Celtics. Yeah, like absolutely right. But like honestly, Daryl Morey would have done the same thing, right? But Daryl right, Morey didn't right. have that reputation to him. And Danny is just like, I, I don't know what the Celtics plan is, but like ho- hopefully people change their mind on Danny at some point. But it seems like again, it's a player league, and if players look at you know look at Danny in a side eyed way and are like not a, not buying into him, it, it's a real problem for the Celtics' future. Despite the fact that I think he's one of the most talented presidents and GMs in the league, he's overrated, man. Look, I've suffered through Celtics fans saying, "Oh, the Sixers process failed." Look at the Celtics process. Yeah, well, um, I don't see any of the stars coming your way. So. What what is that? Yes, the the Celtics may have made the conference finals twice in the past two years, but they're kind of like the most underwhelming conference finalists that I've seen. And they subsequently lost to the Raptors and the Heat, who some people would argue in both cases overperformed. So you know what what is this? What is the great Danny Ainge doing? You know what is the great Brad Stevens doing? 
it's more than just the Isaiah Thomas thing because look, the Isaiah Thomas move made sense because of his injury, right? Like I understand that, you know, it was a heartless move to get rid of him, but I don't think that's why people think of him as shrewd or something like that. It's because he is shrewd. He's known for fucking over tons of teams. I know because he did that to the Sixers many times. And my point is for as great as people overrate him to be, what has he accomplished with that? They haven't had one finals appearance in this new era. Well, I, I want to counter that a little bit. This is sort of the new narrative about Danny Ainge that he's completely failed. When I look back on his reign, what's the trade that people actually want him wanted to him to make that he didn't make? Like AD and Kawhi both made it absolutely clear that he, they weren't going to re-sign there. And he, with Kawhi, we saw he got traded to the Raptors, won a championship, and still left. So, I mean, he probably would have the same to the Celtics. I mean, he, you take him at his word. He said he wouldn't go there, right? So, and the other thing is, like, his moves still got them. Jason Tatum who's just 22 years old and Jalen Brown, who's just 24 years old. And with those two guys, they can compete for years to come and their window to compete is long. It's not like the Lakers who have LeBron had to make a move to, you know, to maximize his window or even the Bucks with Giannis who have to make a move just to resign there. They have these two guys committed for long-term. They just resigned Jason Tim to a five-year max. So they don't have this pressure to win. Now they can play a longer game. I'm sure they would love to have capitalized and gotten some real star to join them. But hey, I think, you know, that's still on the table going forward. And, uh, you know, Jason Tatum, Anushan, is a guy I know you've kept your eye on quite a bit. Yeah, no, for sure. It's funny because out of his peers from the his draft class with Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons, I actually think Jason Tatum has the most upside and currently I think is probably the best out of the three. For me, right, just watching how he plays in the playoffs and how he dissects defenses, it's like otherworldly. Reminds me so much of like other elite shot creators like Kevin Durant and Kobe Bryant, who... Except when he was facing that zone when he completely yeah, disappeared. Yeah. Didn't do anything. Even then, to a point against the zones... He was also really good in catch-and-shoot opportunities when he was open and the zone did collapse. And he was also good at creating his shot even against that zone as well. Not only that, but as far as his offensive game goes, he's a really underrated defensive player too. Actually, in a comparison I did with Bam Adebayo and Jason Tatum, he actually is better at on-the-ball shot blocking than Bam Adebayo is. So there's like things like that, small things that Jason Tatum can do on the defensive end, given his size and his length, that really add towards his game in totality. I think he's a fantastic offensive player and a really underrated defensive player as well. Yeah, I have to agree. You know, for some reason, I don't like Jason Tatum. Maybe maybe it's because of his baby face or his stubble beard, which are <laughs> reasons. But I have to agree. Like, he can perform down the stretch. I think he has the cojones factor. He's so skilled. He, he has Kobe-like sort of dexterity, I think, with his fadeaway jumper um, and his footwork. And I tend to agree on AC's judgment of Danny Ainge. I think Danny Ainge has pretty much done... Um, the most that you can sort of expect from a GM. Um, and look, as far as his reputation as being too shrewd, you have to, you have to sort of, sort of put uh, the other GMs in these certain deals at fault. Like in particular, let's say what, what happened between the Nets and the Celtics a few years ago, what I think has been sort of the, the demise of the Celtics in recent years uh, comes with Kyrie Irving just being a cancer to to sort of uh, the locker room and, and I think really hurting them uh, for, for uh, the year that he was there. And then I think them choosing Kemba was just a tough choice because I get why they did it. And hey, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, so you can't really fault them from that perspective. But I just think Kemba's too small and too easy to, to, to pick apart for other teams' offenses. So overall, I, I think the way to think about the Celtics is – they, they made a concerted effort to become a championship caliber team over the last few years. But I think at this point, they have to sort of recognize that it's going to be a few years before they can get back to that level of play. And they should just sort of develop their young talent for the next couple of years. All right, guys. So we went through all the five teams that we think are probably the most likely. Apologies to Anishan's Raptors, who I, I don't think are quite there. No. Um, and, and to my New York Knicks, who will probably never be there. We are not quite there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but tell me the two teams you think are going to be in the conference finals and who's going to win. Anushan, you go first. Damn. Uh, I think conference finals, to me, I'm looking at the Nets and I'm going to say Sixers. Nets and Sixers. And hey. I think Nets take it. Nets take it. Okay. Rongo, what do you think? 
I think it's going to be Miami and Milwaukee, and I think uh, the Heat are going to advance to the uh, to the finals. Nissal, what do you think? I think it's going to be. I think uh, assuming again, assuming KD can hold his part of the bargain, I think it's going to be Milwaukee and uh, I was going to say New Jersey. I mean Brooklyn, um, and uh, I think uh, I, I'm going to take the Bucks, um, but I think. The Nets are right there. It's it's so hard to evaluate a product that you haven't seen on the table yet, you know. Um, so I'll, I'll go with I'll give the Bucks the edge for that reason. But I think New Jersey's or Brooklyn's right there. <laughs> New Jersey, you really want New Jersey? <laughs> I'll see. What do you think? Look, the Sixers fan in me wants to say it's going to be a Nets Sixers Eastern Conference Finals with the Sixers going to the finals. But gun to my head, and if I'm being honest with myself. It's probably Heat Nets, and the deciding factor is what kind of KD will the Nets have. If it's the real KD, I'm saying the Nets are going all the way. Otherwise, it's the Heat. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bucks versus the Nets, and that's purely because I'm just going by talent. I think those guys have the most top-end talent, and I think when it really comes down to it, the Drew Holiday edition is enough to push the Bucks over the edge. I think they'll get to the finals. Okay, and that concludes our Eastern Conference breakdown of the contenders going into the 2020-2021 NBA season. The 2020 part's going to be very short. That being said, we also have a Western Conference podcast coming up as well, so you'll get your fill of those teams. But uh, please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe our podcast on whatever podcast service you use. And, you know, if you like what you heard, share it with your friends. We'll see you next time, folks. Bye. Peace out. See you guys.